Welcome to We Heal Together. This is Cordelia, and I appreciate you joining me today. We're going to be talking about what actually constitutes abuse. So going into examples of what does physical and emotional abuse look like in real life. If you want to dig a little deeper, be sure to follow me on Instagram, which is at codependentrecovery. And be sure to check out the show notes as well for resources if you are in an abusive relationship. All right, let's heal together. Like I said, this podcast, we're going to be going into what does physical and emotional abuse look like. So this podcast is going to be helpful, number one, if you are in an abusive relationship, figuring out what exactly is abuse. Because oftentimes when you are in an abusive relationship, you are very isolated and you have kind of lost a lot of your self-esteem and your self-worth and you don't really trust yourself to be able to assess the situation. So this podcast is a good tool to hone in on some reassurance of, no, what is happening to you is actually abuse. In addition to that, let's say you're not in in an abusive relationship. This podcast is going to help you if you have a friend or a family member that is an abusive relationship and kind of identifying some red flags and some troubling things. Even if you don't have a friend or a family member, this podcast can bring awareness and help you be empowered with knowledge and education so that you can recognize abuse when it's happening out in society, when it's happening with a stranger, And also when it comes up in conversations with people, if you're in a conversation and somebody's, you know, being kind of ignorant about the topic of abuse, you can be a voice and you can guide them with the information you learn here. So the first thing that I'm going to start with today is exploring physical abuse. Now I'm starting here only because there's this thing in society where if you're in a toxic relationship, first of all, it's usually not something that you can hide for indefinitely. People can typically kind of pick up on things are changing about you and there's something going on. I've noticed the first question that people tend to ask is, did he ever get physical with you? Did she ever get physical with you? Did they ever get physical with you? People's minds tend to think that physical abuse is the only abuse in some cases. So I want to start there, but this is, frankly, it's the smallest part of the discussion, not to minimize it or take away from it, but there's just so much more to abuse. So when we talk about physical abuse, I'm going to tell you the definition that is found on loveisrespect.org. Physical abuse is any intentional and unwanted contact with you, 
or something close to your body. Sometimes abusive behavior does not cause pain or even leave a bruise, but it is still unhealthy. So some examples of physical abuse, again, from that same site, but they list are scratching, punching, biting, strangling, kicking, throwing something at you. So throwing a phone at you, a book, a shoe, a plate, pulling your hair, pushing, pulling you in any way, grabbing your clothes, using some kind of weapon, a gun, a knife, a bat, mace, something like that. Smacking you, even if they slap your butt without your permission. Forcing you to have sex or to perform a sexual act. Grabbing your face to make you look at them. And then grabbing you to prevent you from leaving somewhere. Now, some examples from my own past. First, a more obvious example in one prior relationship while I was in law school. I, my long-term boyfriend at the time hit me. And so that's an obvious example of physical abuse. In my last relationship, it was more subtle. He pushed me. And in one instance, when we were having a fight and we were, it was outside, he sprayed me with a water hose like sprayed me in the face, sprayed my hair, um, sprayed my shirt to get me to stop talking. And this was in, you know, the cold kind of months. This wasn't in the summer and this wasn't playful. This was a serious conversation that we were having. In another instance in that same relationship, he threw a like memory foam pillow at me. And, you know, at the time I felt kind of silly even calling it abuse or labeling it abuse. And I kind of was minimizing it saying, oh, I mean, he just threw a pillow at me. But no, I mean, that that's unacceptable and that's abuse. So like I touched upon earlier, unfortunately, most people, you know, it's obviously a good thing that people are comp- concerned about your safety and they're saying, did this partner get physical with you? But then that's unfortunate that that's really the only question that's asked. We don't tend to to go beyond that, and abuse is so much more than that. So I really want to spend the rest of our time today exploring emotional abuse, because that can honestly be as bad, if not worse, than physical abuse in many instances. Instances. (laughs) So according to One Love, Emotional abuse is any abusive behavior that's not physical. So that can include verbal aggression, intimidation, manipulation, humiliation, which most often unfolds as a pattern of behavior over time that aims to diminish another person's sense of identity, dignity, and self-worth, and which often results in anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or behavior, and post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD. So let's dig into what that looks like in real life. How does that play out? I'm going to just go one by one and go through what these things are and kind of give some examples. So number one, if somebody is name-calling you, demeaning you, 
embarrassing you. Examples of that. So in my previous relationship, my ex had called me things like bitch, user, manipulator, retard, fucking bitch, psycho, psycho liar, crazy. He told me he hated me. I mean, there's so many examples of that. Next is denial. So denying that something happened. This is called, or really, it's a form of gaslighting. It's making you question your own memory and your own sanity. So, for example, my, in my life, that looked like denying talking badly to me. Instead, he would say things like, I'm just telling you the facts. I'm just telling you the truth. Or he would say, is this happening because you aren't taking your medication in reference to antidepressants? And that those kind of things are meant to make you feel like, ooh, did this happen? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know now. It's Am I overreacting? Am I, I don't, I don't know. My memory must not be right. Next is if your partner is saying that they don't trust you and they're, you know, accusing you of those things. Um, In my relationship, I had never cheated on him. And another example was he told me that he tore the house apart. This was my Almost ex-husband saying this to me. He told me he tore the house apart trying to find my birth control. And he accused me of skipping birth control. Next, I want to expand on gaslighting. So earlier we talked about denial, which is a form of gaslighting. But gaslighting can take many shapes and forms. Um, So another way this shows up is if somebody is trying to make you feel crazy, So my medication example earlier would be an example here as well. And also kind of overlapping with a name calling example, my, in my life that showed up by my partner saying, calling me bipolar and things that I had never been diagnosed with. I I have, and I'm very open about that I've been diagnosed with depression and But he would say things that, you know, nobody with an MD or none of my counselor or my counselor had not diagnosed me with. And he would say these things to make me feel crazy and like I was unstable. Next is cussing at you. So, you know, any cussing in a fight is that's not normal. That's not productive. That's not something that healthy people do in a relationship. Another example is finding out your, where you're, you are vulnerable and then using those vulnerabilities against you. So, you know, he would, in my life, that looked like picking up on things that I was insecure about or I had any shame surrounding and then waiting and using that information way down the line and kind of turning the tables and using information that I had shared from my heart to then hurt me. 
The next way that emotional abuse can show up in your life is if somebody is always playing the victim and then guilt tripping. So I have a few examples for this one. There was always something wrong with my ex's health. There was, it was like he was sick every single week. And then he would blame me for that and say, well, I'm sick. I can't do anything. And you don't even care. And you don't even feel bad about this. Another example is my dog. So I have one little dog and I actually had him before, you know, I had ever even met my ex. My ex had his own dog as well. And so when we started dating, he was like this big dog lover. You know, he slept with his dog every day. We literally went on dates where we would go to the dog park and we would walk our dogs together. And, you know, whenever we would spend the night with each other, the other one would always bring their dog with them. So it was really this relationship like founded on this assumption, like we're two dog lovers. So about seven months into our relationship, his dog that he had before me, actually, he had never been neutered and he basically impregnated another dog. And so my ex really wanted to get one of the puppies. And at the time I was really like, I didn't, I didn't know if I could handle this like third dog basically in the relationship, but we talked about it and we decided to, to get that, that puppy together. So his name, I named him is Huckleberry. And he is the sweetest dog in the entire world. He is part Husky and part Belgian Malinois. And just the biggest, like, bundle of cuddles and joy and love. And he's amazing. Well, not too long after we got this dog, all of a sudden, for the first time, my ex is telling me that he's allergic to dogs. But interestingly, only this one dog. The other two dogs, he claims he had, oh no, I'm not allergic to them. And so he started guilting me, playing the victim, and, you know, telling me that he, like, I'm a very selfish person, and he couldn't believe that I was keeping this dog around, and, you know, his skin and all this stuff. So. He has eczema, but, you know, as far as I know, he he went to a dermatologist for his eczema. He never once told me that the dermatologist told him, you know, hey, this is allergies or these are allergies. Like, we should send you to an allergist or we should do some allergy testing and determine what's going on. And he never, I mean, that's just not something he did. And... I, when I look back at this period of time, it really pains me because he started basically keeping the dog in this one room of the house that, so the dog was like basically in isolation and I let him do that. You know, that's something that I'm not proud of. And so 
the other two dogs were allowed to roam the house. But this Huckleberry, he was in isolation. I was extremely accommodating. I bought air purifiers. I cleaned, like I washed the blankets and basically anything washable in the house. I would wash like every four days. I bought like out those allergy wipes for dogs. I bought, you know, just I was going the extra mile to accommodate, you know, any anything that could be in the house. And he was constantly, you know, shaming me and telling me like that I was this selfless or selfish person that just didn't care about his health and, you know, just trying to make me feel guilty. But, you know, what's actually selfish and abusive is starting a relationship with somebody and spending all this time, like seven months with them and longer saying and representing yourself as a dog lover, you own a dog. And then all of a sudden you're expecting them to just be this person that they're not and to not like dogs and to to not do these things. I will, you know, there is a happy ending, of course. I did file for divorce from him and I have Huckleberry. So Huckleberry sleeps with me every night and he spends like every second with me. So I will forever be making it up to Huckleberry for that time period where You know, I wasn't speaking up for him or myself. The next way that emotional abuse can show up is minimization. So downplaying something. So, for example, denying that he pushed me or saying, well, I had to do that because you were being crazy. Or acting like you're overreacting, acting like you're not remembering things correctly. Another way emotional abuse can show up is lying, just straight up not telling the truth. So, for example, this this showed up in a lot of ways in my life in, like, triangulation tactics. So, for example, he told me, your mom told me you are trouble. She never said that. And another example is before we got married, I found out that he had told some people, like a group of, I don't know, 10 or 15 people, which I assume they were his like enablers because he never told my friends or family any of this, but he told them that he had canceled the wedding. And I mean, that's a straight up lie. He had never canceled the wedding. He never called any vendors. He never did any of that. Um, After we got married, he would tell me things like, I remember one conversation, he told me I tricked him into marrying me. Again, that's, that's just not true. I mean, (laughs) he bought a ring, he asked my dad for permission to marry me, he showed up at the wedding, he, you know, it's just, lies to twist the truth to confuse you and to to make to make you stuck in that situation where you feel worthless another tactic is um, diversion so bringing up an unrelated situation so 
you go up to your partner, you're telling them something, and then that is hurting your feelings that you want addressed, and then they start bringing the attention back to you. And most of the time, they'll bring up something from like three years ago. Well, I mean, you did this in 2017. So that's kind of how that shows up. Um, Another tactic is circular conversations. So you try to bring something up and they just talk in circles. Another tactic is, and this is really important and you should really pay attention to this one. If they are never apologizing or not even saying the words, I'm sorry. If they are just simply never acknowledging anything that they are at fault for, this is such a huge red flag and you should run for the hills. I'll never forget after I filed for divorce, I met him at a restaurant to to talk about, you know, everything. And I asked him if there was one thing, one thing that he thought he did wrong. And he said nothing. He literally said, there's nothing that he was at fault for. But honestly, he had been saying that for years. It was just the first time that I listened. Because no matter what he did to me, if he cheated, if he abandoned me, if he, treat, if he talked horribly to me, it didn't matter because according to him, it was my fault because I was a controlling tyrant bully. And I made him do all those things and I made him, you know, treat me that way. Another tactic is making you feel emotionally unstable. So again, this kind of is similar to the gaslighting stuff we talked about earlier. Um, In one conversation I had with him, a quote that he said to me was, you just want me to be as depressed as you. And, you know, that was something that he said to make me feel like, oh, I'm just this emotionally unstable person. Next is anger. So somebody who is getting unreasonably anger, angry at you, they're using that anger to silence you. And that's, I mean, the way that they're doing that is really like a covert intimidation tactic. And it's meant to, to limit your voice to quiet you. Next is evasion. So not directly answering a question, being vague, and then typically getting annoyed about it. So in my life, this would look like he would storm out in a fight, which that's later on the list, but (laughs) he would storm out in a fight and then he would ignore me and, you know, the I've been pretty open, especially on my Instagram post, about how, you know, I had some some toxic things that I was doing. Like, why was I even wanting somebody who was doing these things to me around? And so, I mean, that that's a lot of what I've been working on, but all that aside for now. Um, anyways, he would leave, and then it, it, usually he would say some hurtful things. Like, he would say... For example, I remember one fight, he texted me and said, I don't want to be married to you and stormed out. 
never called me after that, never came home. And I actually did not reach out to him. I just stayed silent. And a day later, he texts me and is like, hey, what's up? Just trying to start a conversation. And I, I, I basically refused to talk to him. And this goes on, you know, this pattern. And every time that I would try to address the issue of, do you, you said you don't want to be married to me. Like, what are you saying? Do you want a divorce? Are we separated? Like, what's going on? He would just not give an answer and he would act like I was being crazy. And he's like, I just want to go get dinner. Let's get dinner. And almost act like he would never say it. He never said it. And then if I did that, if I just caved and went along with it, well, then later he would use that same thing that he evaded the answer about. So in this example, I don't want to be married to you anymore. It would present itself like a month later, three weeks later, two weeks later. And he would say, I told you I don't want to be married to you. You just don't listen. And so it's like they evade the answer, get annoyed about it, but then circle back and act like they gave you this direct and clear answer. If they're projecting onto you, this is also another area to look for. So they accuse you of stuff that they are actually doing. That's something that you really need to be on the lookout for. I mean, a lot of times these people are literally like describing things about you. And in actuality, they're describing themselves. So, you know, he would call me a liar and call me various things. And in reality, you know, that wasn't about me. That was about him. Next, they will accuse you of emotions that they provoke. So, you know, they will do unforgivable, horrible things, and then you'll actually, you know, snap and yell back. And they will say that you're the abuser and accuse you of you know, all these things. They shame you is another one. So they shame you to kind of increase your self-doubt. And they're doing this by incorporating kind of like a moral high ground. You'll always be like this. Nobody will ever put up with you. You know, they're, they're trying to make you feel so small that you won't leave. Next, another example of how emotional abuse shows up is either feigning ignorance or feigning being innocent. So either they're pretending like they have no idea why you're upset. What? I have no clue. This is, I just had no idea. Or feigning innocence. So they're pretending they had nothing to do with what happened. They say things like, this is all you. I don't even know what this is about. Our next example of what emotional abuse can look like in everyday life. Character assassinations, especially when they're using the word always. You always do this. You always start fights with me. You're always so mean. You're always this or that. That's something that you need to to look for. The next kind of tactic they use is yelling, raising their voice, screaming. So similar to swearing earlier, this is meant to, this is kind of, you know, a branch of anger. It's 
used to silence you. No one should be yelling or screaming at you. This is not normal. Next is if they are using a patronizing or condescending tone. Now, the tone itself, I'm not going to say like that's abuse. We're all kind of guilty of that. But it's it's really like if you look at it in the combination of all these other things. So if they're yelling at you, if they're gaslighting you, if they're doing these things, and then they're also throwing this tone in, and then, you know, you react to it or something and they call you crazy. That's just, that is emotional abuse in that context because they're using the tone to make you just feel stupid and feel little and embarrass you. Next would be threats. So an example of something that showed up for me was, you haven't even begun to see mean. Um, On our honeymoon as well, he said to me that I needed to straighten up and he wanted to head, he was going to headbutt me until my nose bled. Another way of emotional abuse is public embarrassment. So taking a public opportunity to belittle you and shame you, that's again, that's a a way to abuse you. Next would be unpredictability. You're walking on eggshells. You don't know how they're going to act. Does your body tense up when they come into a room? Does it tense up when they're pulling in the driveway? That's a sign that they are, their unpredictable behavior is a form of abuse. And you, you don't know if today's a hot or a cold day. Next, I briefly touched on this earlier, but walking out. So if your partner is walking out on you, when you are trying to talk to them about your feelings, you're trying to talk to them about your emotions, they leave you. And it's a tool to kind of keep you stuck in the problem. It's a, it's a tool to abuse you. Next is using others. So they use the famous they or everybody. Everybody thinks you're crazy. They all say you're wrong. And it's a, nobody's actually saying these things. It's just a way to make you feel like you're unstable and you're crazy. Next is blaming you. So kind of turning these tables, they're saying that you cause everything. Another example is basically blaming you for all their problems. Whatever is going on in their life is your fault. You caused all the issues. It's not them. It's not anybody else. It is your fault. Next would be, you know, trying to isolate you. So they may try to come between you and your family or you or your friends and they can they can try to isolate you and that way you're only hearing one viewpoint. Um, another method that they use is withholding affection. So it's almost like punishment, like they won't hold your hand and they won't kiss you and they're really kind of in they're keeping back affection from you. Next would be somebody who's interrupting you, 
constantly. I, I found myself often saying, can I finish what I'm saying? And, you know, I, just constantly he would cut me off. Um, next, big one. These last two are huge, actually. Disputing your feelings. So whatever you feel, it is not up to them to tell you, no, you don't feel that way. No, that's not how you feel. You know, you're wrong to feel that way. This isn't really what you feel like. That is abuse. It is gaslighting. You are allowed to feel whatever you're feeling. And it's not like feelings aren't a topic of debate. You can express sincere apologies for making somebody feel that way, but it's not up to you to decide, you know, whether somebody should or should not, or really if they do feel that way. The last one is silent treatment. So the silent treatment, this is the definition that I got. It is the refusal to engage in verbal communication with somebody, often as a response to conflict in relationships. This can also be referred to as giving the cold shoulder or stonewalling. It's used as a passive aggressive form of control and can be considered emotional abuse. In the book Psychopath Free, I really liked the way that they described it, so I'm just going to read this to you. The silent treatment is a brutal form of abuse, one that pins you against your own mind. You declare war on your intuition and everything that you know to be true. Once your identity has been sufficiently eroded, this person can use their final technique without any chance you'll leave them. Instead, they'll torture you, carrying out the remainder of the abuse for them. So I really identify with this one a lot because my ex would do this to me. So remember, we were married and he would literally, he would just leave and he would ignore me and he wouldn't tell me anything, you know, that was going on. And he would literally just ignore me for days and days. And then it was very strategic. Then he, when he sensed that I, he felt like I couldn't take it anymore and I was, you know, getting power to leave, then he would, you know, start saying a few things, but still not addressing everything. And luckily, I, you know, I, I did grow strength and I was not married to him very long. Our whole relationship was like three and a half years, and we were only married for a few months. And, I mean, the silent treatment he did was so intense after we got married. And I I just I did not want to spend the rest of my life that way, and I'm, I am so thankful that you know, I was able to snap out of it and I was able to free myself of that situation. But silent treatment is, it is, it is so, so painful. So just to kind of wrap up this episode. So of course, again, follow me on Instagram if you kind of want 
the more content like this I am my Instagram is at codependent recovery you can also it's in kind of the show notes and bio of this podcast and episode additionally check out the show notes um I put some citations of where I pulled some of those definitions and where I got some of those signs of emotional abuse. So there's different websites and stuff that I listed. I also listed, let's see, it's about 16 or 17 different resources. And, you know, most are organizations. I tried to kind of cover a wide base for various hotlines, domestic, you know, shelters, resources, um, Open Path Collective, a great resource for finding an affordable counselor. Um, that is actually where I found my counselor. They work with you. I think the range is like the sessions, individual session is 30 to $60. So, you know, they, the therapist is, or counselors can find to that price range. Um, and so it's an organization meant to help people who have difficulty affording, you know, therapy. Um, I also kind of put some resources. There's one I saw for non-U.S. residents that I found that I put in. Um, sexual assault sur- survivors, both male and female. Um, a safety planning, a way to help there. Um, I tried to find as well, the, I included some, you know, transgender, lesbian, gay, bisexual um, organizations that were specifically meant for for those um, for that those populations um, there's one for um, American Indians and Alaska Natives there is a suicide prevention um, kind of hotline and I also put two books in there one is codependent no more which is really helpful um it's helped me a lot and i think a lot of people who are kind of stuck in an abusive relationship likely have some codependent issues to work out um so i would recommend picking up that book i put the link below on amazon and also i put a link to a self esteem workbook that is on amazon that you can order because if you are in an abusive relationship if you identify with any of this stuff you really need to do some work on self-esteem. And and that's just one tool that you can order and do on your own and it can help you. And just to, just so you guys know, I came up with this list and I'm not like getting paid or none of these organizations or books or anything asked me to put them on here. Um, It's just a list that I compiled and I wanted you guys to have. So I know this was kind of some heavy stuff that we covered today, and I really, really appreciate you sticking through it, and, um, you know, it, it means so much to me, and I hope that we can continue healing together, and I hope you have an amazing day.